You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Your mother was a hamster, and your father smelt of elderberry! I am your father. Hello, and welcome to the Sharp Angles Flashcast on Gone Girl, book slash movie review by Danae and Jeanette. And we're here to discuss first the movie Gone Girl, which we just watched. Now, in this case, I'm the fangirl on this one because this is my third time seeing 98% of the movie, which is all I've ever seen. And I'll explain that in a moment. (laughs) Yes, she will. (laughs) And this is Jeanette's first time seeing the movie. So um, I'm going to turn it over to you. What are your thoughts? My thoughts, honestly, I have a little bit of a hard time rating this one. And I will tell you exactly why. Because for the last, what, seven seven episodes yep. um, of Sharp Angles, all I've been doing is rating Marvel comic book movies, yep. which are a completely and totally different genre than this. So I want to give this a 4.5, but that puts it on the same level as Iron Man 1 and Captain America 2 and... That just kind of almost feels a little sacrilegious, I'm not going to lie. But I think we can take this to be a different sort of genre altogether, and I accept your 4.5 and counter with a 4.75. I love this movie. I think it's fantastic. I can tell since you watched it three times. (laughs) Well, most of it three times. Um, And the caveat I put on that is I knew since the moment I sat down in the theater when Desi Collings meets his very unfortunate end um that i could not watch that scene and have not ever seen that scene um i will remove myself or close my eyes and stuff my ears i can't watch it um partly because i know it's incredibly disturbing and images have a tendency to stay with me for the long haul and I will dream about it. I will think about it. I will perseverate over it. And I can't do that. And Well, maybe real quick, just for anyone who has not watched the movie and is listening to this, perhaps we should give a little bit of background detail about exactly what you're talking about. Because I, I, it is a pivotal moment of the book and the movie. Um, I would agree with that. And and we can actually compare and contrast oh, definitely. Um, the book's end to Desi and the movie's end to Desi because they are vastly different and I actually just went back to the book to see what the what the text has to say so do you want to give the lowdown on a brief synopsis of the story without giving too many spoilers okay okay brief synopsis of this movie um (laughs) it's about a psycho wench that's what it's about it really is Uh, a manipulative little sociopath not even a psychopath because psychopaths just run around killing people and this woman is cold-blooded calculated all the way she finds out that her husband is cheating on her um and she already knows that their marriage is you know on the rocks and everything but this is the last straw for her and instead of doing you know the logical sane uh, legal thing that most women do when they they find out that you know they're being cheated on Um, She doesn't divorce him. She decides to get revenge in a completely different way, and that is to frame him for her own murder. Which hasn't happened. Yes. 
So the first half of the book slash movie is all from uh, her perspective in journal entries and his perspective directly in person, yeah. you know, in, in the present. Yep. Um, and the whole entire time you're learning all these things about how he's a horrible husband and how, you know, uh, he might very well be the murderer that he's depicted to be. And then all of a sudden, halfway through the movie, you find out, no, not really. You know, she set him up and she set him up very, very well. Unfortunately for her, however, she runs into a little, um, we'll just say money trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that That's sums it up nicely. It beautifully, <laughs> actually. That was lovely. Thank you. Thank you. She runs into some money trouble and ends up having to hit up an old boyfriend for help who happens to be rather psychotic himself. He's obsessive. The, he's obsessive and creepy. Oh, yeah. um, and probably, I think, equally as creepy, creepy in movie depiction as in book depiction, but there's more layers to him in the book, I have to say. And one of the tragedies of this movie, one of the small tragedies of this movie is um, in the book, his mother is given a whole lot of um, novel time and their relationship is completely enmeshed. And one of the ways that his mother is described interestingly enough is smelling vague vaguely vaginal and that is a direct quote um and that yes um and she uses sex as power are we allowed to use that word Uh, on on sharp angles i just did (laughs) so sorry folks if that bothers you excuse me um i was just teasing and uh yeah and Better that than other words. Um, <laughs> and other words were used in both the book and movie. Yes. And um, in the book, he's a little bit um, a little bit of a... So it's interesting, and I just made this connection recently. And real it's, quick, just to tie it in, the boyfriend's name is Desi, just yes, for the record. his name is Desi. And in both the book and the movie, he meets an unfortunate end. In the movie... It's much crueler than in the book, actually. I will flat out admit that I don't remember. It's been a very long time since I read the book. What, two years? At least. When when was it first published? 2012. 2012. Okay, so it's probably been three years since I've read it. Um, And I remember, I mean, I own it. It's really a very, very compelling book. Psychological. uh, Yeah, it just, it screws with your brain big time. Um... And I will I will talk about that later, but it, it's just it's just wow. <laughs> yeah, it is, and it's kind of a mind screw to be honest with you. I think both the book and the movie. I think the brilliance of the movie, though, to be very frank with you, is I knew exactly what happened. I knew that she wasn't dead. I knew that she was framing her husband for her murder that hadn't happened. I knew all of that. And I still was on the razor's edge all throughout the first half of the movie until she shows shows up. I don't know. I, it was great storytelling, in my opinion. The whole thing. I walked into the theater, sat down from the opening credits to the time it was revealed that she was alive. And I heard the gasps around me from people who hadn't read the book. And I felt that same shock despite knowing it was... See, here's the thing. 
I find that absolutely fascinating because I would say that the movie snowed you and more and the book snowed me agree. more because I guess now is a, is a fine time to admit it. Um, even after I learned that Nick, the husband, was not the murderer he's depicted to be, I still had no sympathy for him. In fact, I rather despised him. Um, and I was almost, and I hate to admit this, but I was almost rooting for Amy, who is this, you know, sociopathic wench for uh, a more polite term to use than what she really is. Mm. Um, so basically, Gillian Flynn, the the author, she she what what she brainwashed me. Yeah. She totally did. I mean, I had I had the reader's version of Stockholm syndrome. Because I was rooting for the bad guy. Well, and I went back and forth in the book. I remember that um, very vividly, going back and forth about Nick. And by the time I got to the point, part two, because the book is sectioned into three parts. By the time I got to the part two where she's really alive, I realized what was going on and couldn't, couldn't root for her anymore. But it's very deceptive. And I think the movie is equally as deceptive in terms of getting you to invest in this character who's writing this di- these diary entries who turns out to be completely and totally fictitious. Mm-hmm. The woman doesn't exist. And she flat out admits that. The character flat out says, oh yeah, I just made all that stuff up. In fact, I've been making up my whole entire relationship with my husband ever since we first met. Right. Because I'm cool girl and I did this, this, and this to make sure I was cool girl for him. And... You know, I liked being cool girl to some degree or another, but he stole from me. He stole my soul, essentially. And I think there was a point where she was committed to being cool girl. And had things not deteriorated for them in terms of finances Uh first um, and in terms of relationships second, I think the finances were the initial turning point and then the relationship then disintegrated after that that she would still be happy to be cool girl because cool girl is easy when you have a million and a half dollars in the bank and even if you and your husband are not employed maybe it doesn't make a difference but add financial hardship to that you know because her parents need to borrow from her trust fund and it becomes a completely different game and then a parent dies for on his side and another parent gets ill on his side and all of these life stressors that happen to people completely make her no longer want to invest in being cool girl that coupled with the fact that that she's a sociopath that she's a sociopath (laughs) and he's an ass he is is. there's no bones about it and um and the fact that he flat out i mean he he it comes out that he's cheating on her in the first half when you still think that he might be a murderer um and that probably pushed me to root against him for the second half as well because i just really can't have all that much sympathy for a cheater i just can't and i get that i i but out of the two grossly unlikable characters in this book i'd rather root for him he's a little bit of an underdog he's not quite as smart as she is um, is anyone as smart as she is oh. or as patient for that matter she is incredibly she's patient disgustingly patient incredibly patient um so he's not quite as smart as she is though he tries i mean and he says in both the book and the movie 
that she makes him, she challenges him. She makes him work hard. Um, but there's also something in me that cheers, I think in a lot of people, that cheers when somebody gets their comeuppance. And um, Amy deserves some comeuppance and didn't get it, really. Oh, truly. no, she totally doesn't. And, and no, in fact, she wins. She wins. He loses. And that made me really sad and was very unsatisfying to me um, at the end of the book. Well, let me just say about him losing is he's messed up psychologically enough to actually enjoy losing. And I think that that was really, truly um, well depicted in the book at one point. And again, I went back to read some um, while we were watching the movie. And he says that he can't imagine a world without Amy. Mm -hmm. Um, That killing her is not the right thing to do, even though she's messed up his life so spectacularly. But she does deserve something, and maybe prison is it. And that's not what ends up happening to her. Um, And in the... And in the movie, I think one of the best lines in the movie, um, at the end, so he has to hire this crack defense attorney because he is getting framed for a murder that nobody committed. Um, and, and it's national news. Everyone hates him at this point. Yeah. I mean, he is loathed and despised. And he hires, like, the um, Johnny Cochran, is that the right or term? Or Emily Bailey, or yeah. Yeah. Um, for, you know, this guy who rep- basically represents husband uh, wife killers. Um, and his name is Tanner Bolt. And played very well i thought oh yeah by um tyler perry um phenomenal job and he says at the end after amy comes back um clearly not dead (laughs) that you know you that this her story which they begin to call he actually tanner bolts is the one who calls it the miracle on the mississippi um Tanner Bolt coins this term that then gets used by all the news outlets and all of this. Um, it ends up causing Nick and Margot, who are twins who own a bar together called the bar. It ends up causing them to franchise the bar. Um, and it ends up turning her parents' fortunes around because for those of you who haven't seen the book or read the movie or vice versa, um, <laughs> that they wrote, they plagiarized her childhood is the quote from the movie. Um, and probably the book too, that they wrote these Amazing stories, Amy story. Yeah. And, and their, their children's literature. And so similar to, um, what's out right now, I'll think of it. There's, there's another parallel, um, that we can make like Henry and Mudge type of things. Um, children's books in which you learn lessons, um, but they took her failures and turned them into successes. And so it causes a reboot in the franchise, the Amazing Amy franchise. Um, and the publishers want them to do more books. She writes her own book in the, in the book. Um, she writes her own book called Amazing. And so these people who have faced really real financial hardship because of a variety of circumstances have now turned things around because of this, you know, lifetime movie rights, this, that, the other. And Tanner Bolt looks at Nick and says, 
uh, you know, um, curse word alert, you two are the most fucked up people. And he goes, and I specialize in fucked up. And he said, but, you know, between the Barra franchise and Lifetime movie and all of that, you may want to thank her. Um, and so these two people are locked in this dance, this, I don't even know. And the second, my second favorite line from the book slash movie is Nick is accusing Amy of doing all of these terrible things and whatever. And she turns to him and she goes, that's marriage. And it's rather bleak to be honest with you, but I think that for a lot of people, that is what marriage is. And that's not depressing at all for not, a single girl. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just stay single. I, I don't think it's true of all marriages. It's certainly not true for mine. But I can see how for people that has the smack of truth. If you don't respect each other, if you don't treat each other the way you're meant to treat one another, if you don't honor all of the vows that you make when you marry instead of just the one about being faithful. Because I think... Wise words. I think before he was unfaithful, before he broke that marriage vow, they weren't really true to their others. You know, to love, to honor. I think particularly to honor. Uh in typical sociopathic fashion, Amy is only interested in herself. Of course. And she's only interested in him honoring her. Yeah. Him loving her. Yeah. You know, she'll do the things required to make that continue to happen, but only to the extent that it doesn't inconvenience her, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think that he stops because there's a detachment there somewhere. Um, uh, I, well, I, honestly, though, I think that I think that he fell in love with an idea. Sure. Um, and let's face it, it was a very appealing idea. Sure. And I, the money didn't hurt. Exactly. And the cool And girl, the fact that she made him look good. Right. You know, she's beautiful. She's smart. She's all of these things. She's a... a an edgy New Yorker. She grew up in New York. Mm -hmm. You know, he's salt of the earth, Minnesota or no, Missouri, Missouri, Missouri. Missouri. And then that picture starts fading a bit. And let's face it. Reality is never, is, is never that pretty, that perfectly wrapped up. There's always going to be something bad that, that happens or no one's perfect, et cetera, et cetera. All those cliches, they're rather true though. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he couldn't handle, he can handle that truth. Right. And in a, in addition, I think he couldn't handle it. He didn't know what to do with it. And because they only talked about things when she was cool girl mm -hmm. and he was like the guy who was with cool girl, mm -hmm. I think things got left, obviously got left unresolved. And then there was friction in the marriage because he wanted a baby. She didn't, though she turns that around on him. Um, in typical sociopath fashion. Um, and it builds to this giant head. Things just built and built and built and built and built. And instead of him actually lashing out and hitting her like she claims that he does, 
or killing her like she tries to frame him for the she twists everything it is incredibly twisted oh yeah yeah you know one thousand percent but again, and not to say that she was right, because even even while I was rather rooting for her, I knew she was like a, she was totally wrong. She's a very bad person, and in real life, I would never want to run into her. Um, but at the same time, not in his defense, anyone who goes and sleeps with their college student, what a pathetic little cliche. I am not endorsing his behavior. That is not what I am endorsing. No, and I know you're not. I just had to say that. Absolutely. And under different circumstances, with a different wife, mm-hmm. I would think that he almost deserved to be set up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Well, here's the thing. If he had had an affair with a more mature person his own age who had more to her than a hot body, then I might have more sympathy for him, in all honesty. Sure. I mean, I hate the woman he has an affair with on the screen, in the book, whatever. That, regardless, mm-hmm. I think I think that she's... And, what... and as I remember in the book, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Andy is the one who comes on to him. And yes. Not vice versa. He he actually doesn't go about trying to initiate it. She definitely pushes her attention his way. And um, she it's sort of depicted that way a little bit in the movie when she pushes into um, his twin sister's house where he's staying, and she basically like hop. Jumps him. Jumps his bone. Yeah, she jumps on his lap and mm. and pulls down her dress and shoves her boobs in his face. Yep. And, you know, he's salt of the earth Missouri guy. <laughs> so, what does he do? Danae is right now actually looking through the book, my copy, and trying to find the exact proof. Of yeah, this. I want to see. I want to see. Um, But at the same time, I just think he is he's certainly not perfect or and or um in any way is it um it does he get my stamp of approval for sleeping with his college student but he's still somehow sympathetic because uh, his wife is so much worse i agree with that (laughs) i find him sympathetic i i actually and i actually think um so I'm not a huge Ben Affleck fan. Um, he's not my favorite. No Batfleck for you? No Batfleck for me. I'm grossly disappointed, actually, that he's pay- playing Batman. Um, however, I think this is my favorite Ben Affleck ever. And my favorite, favorite part of Ben Affleck in this movie is he's got... His backside? Oh, well, there's that. <laughs> he does have a very nice backside, ladies. Um, and gentlemen, too. Um, but he, you know, he's got that really significant cleft in his chin, Ben Affleck does. And, uh, and this is a, a true detail from the book too. I'm sure part of the reason he was cast. And one of the things that Amy says when he, she first meets Nick is his chin seems untrustworthy. So in order to, um, thwart that, he would put two fingers over the cleft in his chin to make her, 
you know, make him, make her think that he was more trustworthy. And that I thought was endearing about Ben Affleck's portrayal of Nick Dunn in this movie. I thought he did it really well. That and they talk about his, um, I, I don't remember what they call it in the book, but his grin um, and how it, it looks a little sociopathic. They give him a lot of crap for it, you know, in the different press conferences that he's going through at, in the first few days his wife goes missing. And he smiles because he doesn't know how else to cope. And he catches a, a lot of crap for it. And I think Ben Affleck was the right guy because he's got that, like, that grin, that that good old boy kind of grin. I don't know. There's not – I can't explain it. I'm going to see if I can find – how they describe it because it's the perfect sort of grin for what they described in the book what Jillian Flynn described in the book I don't know well and I agree Ben Affleck was a great choice for this role in fact I think overall um you know the the people in charge of casting did an awesome job except for and Danae disagrees with me on this um but except for Amy except well Amy and and um what the heck is her name again? Oh, Andy. Yeah, a little skanko. Um, so Amy and Andy, I did not find very believable. And maybe, and I will flat out admit this, maybe the reason why I objected to Andy was because she was so much hotter in the Blurred Lines music video. Uh, Robin Thicke, if anyone doesn't know that, which kudos to you if you don't. But she's the, she was the... the Hot little redhead with the perfect poop, perfect perky boobs, um, and little good girl come and get me grin. And that's how she got noticed by the people in charge of casting. And they were like, oh, you know what? We want someone who's really going to, going to stand out in all the wrong ways. And that's why they chose her. Um, but I, I don't think that she, I don't think that she looked all that good in here. And she's supposed to be this tempting little tart. And she is a tempting little tart in the Blurred Lines music video. She's absolutely gorgeous in there. So I don't know what in the world makeup did wrong to her. It almost looked like she had a unibrow, though. Not to be a complete and total cat, but I don't know. She just didn't. Her nose was too big for her face or something. I don't know. She just wasn't attractive, I didn't think. Maybe she starved herself for this role. Maybe. I'm not sure. But she just did not she look right. Me. She didn't look right. And as for Amy... As for Amy, I guess I just had a completely different picture of her in my head. And the woman that they chose to portray her in the movie did not fit with how I pictured her. And that rather offended my son my sensibilities. Obviously, Hollywood does not have to consult me and my imagination before, <laughs> before they cast anyone. But it still just threw me off enough that that I didn't find her character as compelling. Mm. So. I thought they did a, a, a good job. I thought she had great crazy eyes first. Like, her eyes were. But I thought it was, I thought it was overdone in that very end scene. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I just found, so, in the book, they talk more about Nick's relationship with the fa with his father, which is not good. And he actually has um, early onset Alzheimer's. Um, and he's going back and looking at the press conference. And it says, 
The news report would show Nick Dunn, the husband of the missing woman, standing metallically next to his father-in-law, arms crossed, eyes glazed, looking almost bored as Amy's parents wept. And then worse, my long-time response, the need to remind people I wasn't a dick, I was a nice guy despite the affectless stare, the haughty douchebag face. So he, there it came out of nowhere as Rand begged for his daughter's return. A killer smile. So, and you get that in the movie too. You get this, this oh, paradox. No, I disagree. Don't you? I think that that description was completely different from what he portrayed. I thought what he portrayed was, I really don't want to be here. I'm kind of bored. Get me out of here. Which is uh, very damning still, but not nearly as much so as Gillian Flynn's description. That, that end where he's po posing with her picture that at the end of the press conference and he gives that big old shyster grin? Yeah, no. I yeah. thought it looked very disingenuine. I don't know. I don't I think... I don't know. I think that it was pretty good. Uh, I'm just trying to find. I'm trying to find. Sorry, I get distracted sometimes. <laughs> Denise think... desperately trying to find stuff in the book, which does not lend well to uh, to podcasts. Maybe no, perhaps not. Taking the book away is a good choice. Um, I don't know. I I thought he did a fantastic job. I thought generally the cast was well. And let's face it, Neil Patrick Harris of How I Met Your Mother fame playing this incredibly obsessive, creepy sh guy who's incredibly straight, mm -hmm. unlike the real Neil Patrick Harris. Um, and obviously he was pretty straight in How I Met Your Mother, too. I mean, incredibly straight, in fact. Yes. Um, but I thought he was fairly wonderful as Desi Collins. And oh, he did a great job. Uber controlling. There's a point where Amy's eating... And they're watching the the show, the talk show, Barbara Walters-esque talk show that Nick goes on to convince people he's not a douche, and, um, which generally works. And she's eating creme brulee that he's brought from somewhere, Desi's brought to the lake house somewhere because she's taking refuge in his hidey hole. And I have to interrupt real quick there just to say back when she had known Desi when they were in high school, I guess, right, or college, um... She was, you know, a size two, size four, little skinny mini. And after she decided to kill herself and frame her husband for it um, and kill herself in quotation marks, she starts eating a lot more and so gains a few pounds. And Desi wants her exactly how he remembers her. Yes. And that's clear both in the book and the movie. Mm -hmm. And so he says to her, you know, I brought you hair dye, I brought you makeup, I brought you, you know, there's a gym here, so you can, you'll feel, you'll start feeling better once you look like your old self, and he, and in the book, the, she says, um, he likes his women wayfish. um, he wants her to be uber skinny, and so they're sitting in, around the TV, he brings home creme brulee, she's sitting there, she, she literally shoveling creme brulee in her face as she's watching, she finishes her, she reaches for his, he goes to get, gets another glass of wine. He's like, you can tell he's holding himself back from saying anything about watching her husband go in front of the nation and be this charming guy. I mean, he's very charming in that mm. interview. 
Um, and so he gets up, he very tight lipped, very tight fisted, gets another glass of wine, cannot stand the fact that she's eating another creme brulee and takes it out of her hands. Which I would, would have wanted to kill him right then and there myself. So I, I think that that if you cannot let somebody make their own choices in terms of food and those sorts of things, then it's. that's not a good sign not a good sign you know your relationship is doomed right then and there and so you know would he ultimately have harmed her probably not other than keeping her prisoner no right right and that's what he does in the book and that's what she says you know i'm in a beautiful prison um and he brings her little things to eat but like but things that are hard work and yield little in terms of food and she's down to her size two size zero kind of frame um and that's when she decides she has to escape and so her choice of escape which danae alluded to in the very beginning of this podcast um is to once again frame someone and this time desi is the victim um she first uh, sets up evidence that he's been raping her and that that scene is much more compelling in the book than the movie probably we don't have to go into any details here that was very tactfully put i'm impressed (laughs) i actually am incredibly impressed because i would have just gone for the for the gusto (laughs) gusto but yes she frames him she's framed people in the past for rape as well um so she knows how to do it so she knows how to do it but she does go to greater lengths this time around Yes, she does yes yes she does rather Um, disturbing lengths well because there can't be she needs evidence she needs physical evidence because she's going to go to the cops right and so first she she does one thing for evidence and then she goes the even greater length and uh, seduces desi and then um slices his throat open while they're having sex while he's on top of her um slices his throat open and his blood is just gushing all over her and he tries to get up off of her obviously and she flips him around in bed so that she's on top of him and holding him down while his blood is spurting all over her and forgive me if this is not tactful but while she's still riding him ew yeah yeah it was it was pretty darn graphic um that is not how it goes down in the book, by the way, folks. I don't remember how it goes down in the so book. So let me share it with you. So they, she goes to similar lengths to prove that she's been raped in the book. Um, and post-coital, um, she makes him a martini, mm-hmm. um, which she crushes sleeping pills, which he had gotten for her in order to help her sleep because of all the trauma she's undergone oh, with her husband. So much she, trauma. She crushes three sleeping pills into his martini, manipulates him into drinking the whole thing, and then he passes out. And then she stabs him in the neck. Which is a much kinder fate. Yeah. Much more humane. Let's and face it. much less disgusting. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think obvi- obviously that was that whole scene was done for impact. I, like I said, I've never seen it, and I cannot watch it. I won't re- watch it. Um, but I feel like you have much more delicate sensibilities than me. I do. I can't. 
No, it was it was intense. I don't blame you for not watching it. it was um, but and I did know it was coming, even though it was different from the book, because my older sister had already watched it and told me, "Oh my, that was graphic." Again, well put. Um, so, and and the way she makes it back to to Nick after that. So obviously she takes the car keys and she leaves, but instead of stopping and cleaning herself up, which would be somewhat incriminating, she gets in the car and she drives right home. And she's in a white dress, which actually she wasn't wearing when they were engaging in coitus. No, she was in white bra and panties. So obviously she allowed the blood to coat her and then put on the dress to, and which... And when Danae uses the word coat, she's not exaggerating. It is all over her. And puts the white dress on, drives the Maserati to the house, gets out of the car, and her husband is outside, and spectacularly faints into his arms. Oh, it is spectacular. <laughs> um, in a in a fantastic way. There's no other way to put it. And he whispers into her ear because she's fake fainting, you bitch. No, he whispers that into her ear right before she faints. That's right. And then she just swoons like Scarlett O'Hara. And then the fallout of this is pretty intense. And are they going to be able to pin this on this murder on her? Or was this self-defense? Um, but by now, she's America's sweetheart and... The FBI doesn't really want to be the bad guy here, so they don't they don't look into it right. nearly as much as they should. And the North Carthage police, where um, Amy and Nick live, look like fools because they've processed and um, charged her husband with a murder that never happened. Mm-hmm. So they're not the ones that are going to look into it either. So she's left completely and utterly to tell a story that's very prettily packaged and has no witnesses and video evidence to support her claims. Because she is one bright little sociopath. So She paid attention in sociopath school. Yes, she did. And so in the end... Gold star. <laughs> many. <laughs> In the end, she gets exactly what she needs out of everybody. Yeah. She manipulates the situation to get exactly what she needs. But the very end of the movie. And she never shows a single ounce of remorse at any point. No. Neither in the book or in the movie. No. This woman has no qualms. And she continues to manipulate Nick because she had his sperm frozen and post-trauma decides to try and get pregnant so gets pregnant at a fertility clinic and um warns him that she will keep the child from him if he decides to leave and so he has to stay and he has to pander to her and he has to accept all of the things that she's laid out for him and at the end of the book she feels like she's won but at the end of the movie he's stroking her head so the beginning and the end of the movie the scenes are actually very parallel except in the beginning of the movie 
her hair is long. Obviously, it was earlier on in their relationship. And he's stroking her head. And he says something along the lines of, I want to crack my wife's pretty little skull, unspool her thoughts, and find out what are you thinking. And at the end, her hair is short like it is when she returns to him. Um, and he's stroking her head and she turns and he, she faces him and she's got big crazy eyes. And, uh, he says, you know, something very similar, what, you know, about cracking her head open and reading her thoughts. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What have we done to each other? And that's how the movie ends. And I just think it's, it's a very fitting end for the movie, but it also is a little ominous. You don't exactly know what his what he's gonna do to her, how he's gonna get out of this, because he's now a prisoner. He is a prisoner. And there's a part of you that wants him to be free. I, you know. Uh, in the movie, I am far less sympathetic of Amy than I remember being of her in the book, but. I don't know if it's me wanting Nick to be free so much as Amy to get her just deserved. Yeah, I I like Nick. I I did like Nick in the book. Did I, he convince you in those interviews, Danae? Perhaps. <laughs> perhaps I'm a medium. Um, I'm one of those that the media panders to. I don't know. But uh, I like Nick, and I think he doesn't deserve his fate. Fair I, enough. As much as he probably deserves some sort of punishment for his crimes, he doesn't deserve a fate. That's a fate worse, worse than death. There's a, a thoughtful pause, by the way, if you could see the look on my face, I'm thinking it over. But again, that doesn't lend very well to, you know, audio-based podcasts. So, um... In that light, if I could switch subjects slightly sure. to the author herself. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this was, was this her debut novel or no. Dark, Dark Places was, I think? No, Sharp Objects was, actually. Okay. Okay. All three of her published books are very dark and involve very damaged women. Very damaged women. Okay. I mean, Amy is, again, a sociopath. Um, the main character in her in her dark places is completely and totally unlikable. In fact, I started the book and couldn't get more than a chapter and a half into it. In fact, mm-hmm. I don't even know if I finished the first chapter. I didn't know that about that book. I've not read yeah. it. I haven't read it. We Just, were... uh, it's, it's about a woman who uh, her family was massacred by her brother, and she managed to escape back I don't know, 15 years oh ago, gosh. 20 years ago, and she is just angry and bitter and doesn't want, she doesn't, she doesn't want to grow up. She doesn't want to move on. She wants to be a victim forever. Um, and so that was actually really irritating. And then her main character in Sharp Objects is much more independent, but she cuts herself. She has cut herself for a very long time. Um... And the reason, the reason why Gillian Flynn, the author, writes about these damaged and even horrible women is because she's so sick of women being portrayed in the media and in literature as these 
darlings. Darling, daring creatures capable of achieving everything. Um, she thinks that, that female villains are underrepresented, and so she went for it. And let me tell you, she went for it in some pretty darn powerful ways. Yeah. She doesn't hold anything back. Well, and, and in Sharp Objects, not only is the, um, is the main character incredibly damaged and, and somewhat in some ways very disturbing like her her predilections are rather disturbing but it's because of a another female two really female villains um her mother and her, her sister her sister her ste- half sister i think yeah yeah half sister right. um these women who are incredibly twisted mm-hmm. and she goes through the process of attempting to save her sister from from her mother her mother and finds out that it's actually her sister is her, a serial killer her sister is a serial killer at its and her sister's 12 14 uh less than 18 yeah she's and less she, than 16 i don't remember how old um but and doesn't figure it out until unfortunately i and correct me if i'm wrong it's been a very long time since we read this book but there are this this rash of killings in their hometown, mm-hmm. and and she is a reporter. The main character is a reporter who goes back to investigate, um, and she saves her sister from her mother, who has Munch, you know Munchausens, um, and makes her children ill. Part of the reason that she cuts herself is because of the a tremendous amount of illnesses that she's been. Um, inflicted that she has had inflicted upon her by her mother um, and saves her sister from what she thinks is a murderer she thinks her mother is a murderer Um, her mother gets locked up and it's not until her sister comes to live with her in Chicago and one of the girls from her sister's new school goes missing and it turns out I don't remember whether she there she dies or not but it turns out that her sister has been making the parquet floor or the marble floor of her dollhouse out of her victim's teeth yeah it's unbelievably creepy yeah um and i mean okay both danae and i write um write novels and i will flat out admit that i i have written some pretty darn creepy characters and creepy scenarios but I don't think I can hold a candle to Jillian Flynn. Super twisted. Yeah. Super twisted. Yeah. So out of the three novels that she's written, I would say that probably Gone Girl, in terms of disturbing material, it might be the least. Because Dark Places also in, goes back and forth from the past, I believe. I have not read it. But it has to. it also has to do with this woman investigating this satanic ritual murder yeah um and i couldn't read that for that reason Mm. i couldn't read that book for that reason because i couldn't read it because i couldn't stand the main character which is fair but do you remember whether the girl in chicago dies the one that i think she does which means four girls four girls this little 12 or 14 year old killed four girls her age 
again, Jillian Flynn is a master at telling twisted stories. She I really mean, is. twisted. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I have to say that's probably all my commentary on this. So, if you have more... I just think you should watch the movie and read the book and tell us either um, at Twitter or on Twitter at um, Sharp Angles. Um, hashtag. Hashtag. <laughs> hashtag Gone Girl. Um, whether you like the book or the movie better. Cause, uh, so, that's my final question. Which one? The book. The book? The book. Yes. I, it's tough for me. I have a hard time with this question, but I think I might like the movie better, which is, never happens. Yeah, very, very rarely. I've never, I don't think I've ever liked a book more than I've liked, or liked a movie more than I've liked a book. I think the movie did an awesome job of representing the book, but I do think that I found the book more compelling. Okay. I didn't read the book three times. I've seen the movie three times and we'll probably watch it more than that. Understood. So, all right, folks. Well, this is all for this very long flashcast, <laughs> um, almost as long as one of our regular podcasts. So we will probably as long as Thor. Just about. Uh, just about. <laughs> yeah. There was more to talk about here. Um, so we will see you next time on either our flashcast or one of our podcasts. So I'm Danae. And Jeanette. And have a good evening. Bye, guys.